Yeah, so last week I spoke about what God is like. And then we spoke about holiness, which is, a, is something of God that we can attain to. This morning, I want to talk about the character of God. So this is something different. So last week was more of a description of a person. What is, what is the person of God? What does he look like? And we said a little bit like the sun. You can't go too close to the sun, not because the sun is bad, because the sun is good. Um, and God is like that. But that doesn't describe the character of God. Very often when God is spoken about, this is what is said. So Exodus 34, verse 6. And he, that's God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet... He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Before I go into the first part, which I'm going to talk about, I want to bring a balance first. So if we look at that scripture, there are five things. It says he's compassionate and gracious. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. In some translations, that abounding in love says he has a faithful love. You see four things there, and in the middle of it, it says slow to anger. And then it's balanced out with yet. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. So would God be good if he leaves guilty unpunished? No, he wouldn't, because that wouldn't reflect his full nature, right? A lot of people struggle with this. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. It's not the children that are not doing anything wrong that gets punished here. The Bible is full of places where you see a person repenting and coming back to God and then God's blessing breaking over that person. There's a lot of examples in the Bible where God has done that, right? It's not the innocent that goes goes punished because of what their fathers did. It's the children that continue in the same, the Bible would say, iniquity, the same wrongdoing that their fathers did. It wants to put a bit of a heavy down on us as parents, fathers, because what you do, your kids will do. Our kids are excellent imitators. And I imitate stuff my dad did, and I find it, and then the good stuff, I'm going like, yeah, that's me, right? <laughs> and then I do something bad, that I remember my dad doing. And then it's like, oh, flip, that's my dad. <laughs> I should just own it for myself. I'm imitating. It's not his fault. But the balance there is that God is all this good stuff, but yet he does not leave the wicked unpunished. Now, you have that balance, and we're not going to go there again. Cool. So let's look at the character. God is compassionate Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. Compassionate, the first word. What does that mean, compassion? The word compassion has got something to do in, in the language to, with the womb of a mother. And those words are closely related in the language that's been written here. So what, is that, what does that make you think of? Well, 
compassion, with other words, the feeling you should get is that of a mother about her helpless and innocent and little infant. It's like, that's compassion. That's the feeling that's being described. God is like that. When he thinks of us, um, vulnerable and helpless, actually. The same that a mother would feel towards her children. It's used in scripture just as a story. Remember the story about Solomon? So two mothers come to Solomon and they say that this baby, they claim ownership of, the, of a specific baby. And they say, both say, well, this is mine. And that's impossible. So the one's baby died. And they're, now they're both coming to Solomon and, and they're saying, well, this is my child. Now, Solomon doesn't know them, so he's just the wise king. Looks at them and says, okay, what we do is we cut the baby in half. You can each have a half. Why Solomon, right? So the one mom says, oh, good, let's do that. And the other mother says, no, 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 you can't do that. Give it to her. Solomon sees the compassion that moves the real mother, saying, rather just save my child. And he goes, ah, that's the mom. How does he see that? The compassion that moved the mother's heart for her child was what he was looking for. He never intended to cut the baby in half, just saying about Solomon. He was clever, right? <laughs> compassion, you've heard me say this, compassion moved, right? So compassion's not just a description of something. It actually talks about action. There's a movement of compassion. Who's the most compassionate in the Bible? God. God's the most compassionate person in the Bible. Israel, stuck in... In, 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 the, in Egypt, slavery, and they're crying out to God, and God remembers his promise, and his compassion moves him, and he frees them, and he leads them out to a promised land, and on the way they're in the desert, and then what do they do? Well, despite God's compassionate care for them, feeding them, clothing them, they move away from God. They go to some other God, and what does God do? He responds again with compassion the whole time. His compassion moves him. And even when they've moved away from God for generations, when Isaiah writes, where is that scripture? Let me give you scripture for it. Isaiah 49, 15 to 16. When Isaiah writes, he compares God to a mother with a child. He says, caring and compassion, he will rescue his people. God will rescue the people from themselves. Because he's caring and compassionate. Ultimately, what shows God's real compassion is that Jesus comes and he enters the womb of a mother. See that picture? And he comes and he clothes himself with humanity and he unifies himself with us. And he cares for the sick and the lame and the broken. So in Matthew 9, we see that where Jesus touches Humanity himself and God's compassion is shown for us. Jesus himself is moved with compassion. It's everywhere. Like if you read the New Testament scriptures, Matthew is, I think it's 20 times that it says, and Jesus was moved with compassion. Often he sees the crowd. When he feeds the hungry, it's, he, goes to his, he goes to his disciples and he says, I, I feel compassion for these people that are hungry. 
and he performs a miracle. He sees the leper, and it says his compassion moves him, and he heals the sick. God's compassion is shown in Jesus, and ultimately, he then dies and is resurrected, and that is Jesus' compassion for us that moves him. He's deep caring for us. Here's another thing. Jesus says, be compassionate like your father is compassionate. When Jesus is compassionate, he's imitating his father and displaying it to us. And then he, he actually says that, be like my father, be compassionate. So we are called to be compassionate if we've experienced it. When we face difficulty, pain, hurt, sickness, death in our own lives, we can know that God is deeply moved by that. We are not alone. God is deeply, deeply moved. He's emotionally involved with us. And we have the opportunity to show that to the world. We can actually let our hearts be moved sometimes. We're very quick to take our emotion away. It's good to let your heart feel and then move on it. Don't let compassion just be compassion like a feeling. It needs to be an action. And when God speaks about himself, that's the first thing he mentions. I am compassionate. Compassionate and gracious. Again, when, when they speak about God, they say he is compassionate. He's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Gracious. What does that mean, gracious? If I think of the word gracious, I, I immediately see uh, a woman that's dressed for a, a ball, walking down a staircase with like a flowing robe, you know, gracious. It says something, it, it speaks of favor, but uh, delight, favor, charm, beauty. That's what grace speaks of. In Psalm 45 verse 2, it speaks about the poet has gracious lips, meaning he speaks beautiful words. Well put together. In Proverbs 1 verse 9, it speaks of jewelry uh, or ornaments of beauty. It's a, and it says it adds grace. So it's, it's a sense of beauty and, um, and attraction. It attracts favor or attention. Grace. It, it describes a gift often. A story in the Bible, Esther. So Esther was in captivity in Babylon. Through her uncle, she heard that her people were about to be all killed. So plotted against Israel, uh, the other nations, and they were going to get rid of this Israelites inside of Babylon. And the king is about to act on it, not knowing that his wife is actually Jewish. And he's not paying attention yet. Really? You didn't know that? Anyway, so... So Esther goes to the king. She seeks an audience with the king. And she bows at his feet and she asks for favor. She asks for grace. And the king extends grace and favor to her. It's a gift he gives her. In the extreme, grace and favor is given when it, we don't deserve it. If you get what you deserve, it's a reward. If you don't get what you deserve, but you get something good instead, that is grace and favor. It's not asking for justice. 
is another story in the Bible. Jacob cheats his brother out of an inheritance. And 20 years later, he comes back. Now a rich man, his brother could look at that and go, yeah, you're rich because you took the favor from the God. You got the blessing. Look what you built out of nothing because of the blessing you stole from me. And he comes to his brother Esau and he doesn't ask for what he deserves. He comes and he says, can I find favor in your eyes? Can I find grace in your eyes? And, and his brother says, yes, you have found favor. And he shows him grace, a gift of forgiveness that he didn't earn. The favor needs a generous spirit. And we sometimes display it as people. Who is the most gracious person in the story of our lives and in the Bible is God. God is gracious. He comes and he rescues the Israelites from Egypt. That's a favor, grace. They don't deserve it. And they very quickly show that they didn't. Because they've just crossed the Red Sea and they make themselves a, a golden calf and start worshiping that instead. And they go like, let's kill Moses. Go back there. There's no food here. Kill him. It's like 10 plagues, whole army gone. Oh, now you want to go back. There's no army. And then what does, what does Moses do? Well, obviously Moses is a bit hurt. <laughs> and he goes to God. And he, but he, he then actually shows grace and favor towards the people. That actually is unthankful. And he goes, God says, okay, that's it. I'll kill him. I'll start with you. I can still be true to my promise. We'll wipe out this whole nation. And I start with you. Moses goes to God and he says, God, that's not who you are. God, you are gracious. You show favor. You give people what they don't deserve. As if they deserve it. And God looks, looks at it and he says, Moses, you are right. I will show them favor. Instead of wiping them out, he makes an agreement with them. Where he says, I will look after you. I will take out the Amalekites and the, all the other kites. And I will clear the land before you. I will go ahead of you. And Moses says, then I'm also in. Because of your favor, God, because of your grace, I'll be in. We, we see that they, they move away from it again. And then Isaiah, in Isaiah 30, he looks at God's grace and favor Even then, Israel is taken away in bondage because of their disobedience. And Isaiah goes and he he recognizes God's favor and grace and says, you will save your people again. And then Jesus comes, God's gracious gift. He is sent to a world that is dead and dying and caught in sin. That's us. We're a lot more like zombies than real life people. We are dead in our transgressions. We have no life in us. And we're moving around like corpses, bumping into stuff and not knowing where we're going, having no light in our eyes. And Jesus comes to that with grace and gift and brings life to a dead world and a dying people. Not an attractive place to come to for Jesus. And then he gives his life. And in his death and resurrection, there's a gift that's offered Now, here's the thing about a gift. A gift needs to be received. If you don't receive a gift, you don't have it. So I can offer a gift, 
But you have to receive the gift to have it. God's grace is a gift that is offered. But we won't experience that unless we receive it. When we come and we are willing to own our own brokenness, our own failures, and we go like Esther with the king. God, can I find favor in your eyes? Well, God, what is God's response? Well, consistently God responds with mercy, forgiveness, favor, and grace. That's his character. And he extends that grace to us, and he gives us himself. His life for our life, so we can live. That's what it means when God is gracious. Slow to anger. So the word used here is literally to become hot. It's like when you, you're angry, it's like the Hebrew words describe you get hot. Heated discussion, right? Even our language refers to that. It's, people don't disagree in soft tones. I'm angry with you. There's force in it. In the Hebrew language, it speaks of your nose growing red. So when it says God is slow to anger, actually it says he has a long nose. What does it mean? Now God's not like Pinocchio. (laughs) It means that it takes a long time for his nose to become hot, for him to, to have anger. The description here is really just for us to be able to relate to, to God. Slow to anger. It says, so he doesn't become hot quickly. He's patient. Genesis 39 verse 19, Potiphar, it's describing it there. It's like the same words are used. He's, he, he grew hot with anger when he thought that Joseph uh, was messing around with his wife. Often we do have that picture of God. He's this angry being that's striking out with like thunder and lightning and hitting the, the bad people and, and keeping us in line with a whip. But that's not God at all. That's a misrepresentation. God's anger is a lot different to that. It's, his anger is, it says, doesn't say he's an angry God. It says he is a God that is slow to anger. Let's look at, at the story of, um, of Pharaoh. In Genesis, we see Pharaoh enslaving Israel and actually throwing their baby boys into the water and drowning them. What does God do? Well, his response is slow to anger. He sends Moses to Pharaoh to speak to him. He gives him ten chances. And it's only when Pharaoh lets them go and then comes after them to do what? To destroy Israel that it says God burned hot with anger. What happens to Pharaoh? Well, he is destroyed by what? By drowning. Actually, the water covers his, his whole, him and his whole army. And here's a little clue about God's anger when it does burn hot. Pharaoh is given over to his own decisions. It was Pharaoh's decision to come after Israel. It's Pharaoh's decision to run into an ocean. And then what he was doing to the Jewish babies happens to him. He drowns. So in Romans 1 verse 18, there we see the pattern. It says, God hands people over to their destructive desires and decisions, sometimes even when it leads to death. When God's anger burns, the pattern that we see here is that God gives people over to their own consequence. 
their own lives, their own decisions, their own what they wanted. Even Israel, if we go back there, when Israel moves away from, from God, when they start serving foreign gods, God's response after generations of warning and asking and, and giving opportunity to, to return, they're actually being captivated by the, by the nations around them. Why? Well, they were enslaving themselves to the foreign gods of those nations. And then what ends up is they're being enslaved themselves by the nations. So you see that pattern of God's anger when it happens is to give over. Why? Well, because God's on a mission to reconcile us to him. God is not content to leave us in a place where we are without him. Where we're in sin, where we're in darkness, where we are still dead. God's anger flares up when he sees the vulnerable being taken advantage of. I think all of us would get angry if we see a little child being uh, abused by a larger child in the play area, bullied in school. All of us would get, no, that's not right. In a sense, that's God. God looking at the world going, that's not right. And when he acts, he brings righteousness and justice. But always in a, in a, Still, even to that point, can I get that person back to me? If his decisions come to rest, if his choices in this world already starts being felt in, his, in, his, in himself, in his life, maybe he will come back to me. So God's anger is important. He's not just angry, but he's forgiving. When Jesus dies on the cross... It's God's love and his anger in unity working together for us, for forgiveness of sins. And that's the point of God's anger when it, when it goes. It's, he's slow to anger. It's not that he never has anger, but it's meant, even, even when it is there, to bring us back. He has loyal love. It means that he keeps his promises. He's loyal to love. Ruth in the Bible is an example of loyal love, right? Ruth, her husband dies. She's, she's not an Israelite. She's married to an Israelite in a foreign land, and her husband dies, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, is there. And instead of leaving her mother-in-law, who's old, and going back to her people, which would have been easy, she goes with her mother-in-law to a strange country, and she cares for her. She starts looking after her husband's mother. And when people look at her, it says, it says in the Bible, she showed loyal love. And that's a rare commodity in humans, is loyal love. God shows loyal love all the time. He makes a promise to Jacob, not because Jacob is worthy of it. Remember, Jacob, 20 years later, he comes back to his brother. And when he speaks to God, before he speaks to his brother, it's a good idea when you're in trouble. Speak to God first. Jacob speaks to God first. And what does Jacob say to God? Jacob says, God, I am not worthy of your loyal love. And he's right. He isn't. But God gives him loyal love, not because of who Jacob is, but because of who God is. 
humanity unfaithful for centuries. What does God do? Jesus comes. Loyal love. It says, Jesus was filled with God's loyal love. When people saw Jesus, they saw that. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Filled them with his loyal love. His expression to us, loving us, is Jesus. And when we experience God's loyal love, when we experience the forgiveness that Jesus brings, when we accept the gift, then we are moved in turn to show loyal love. Undeserving love. It's not loving those that are easy to love. God's loyal love says, I love you despite who you are. I love you not because of who you are or what what you've done. I love you because of who I am. And when we experience that, we can actually do the same. We can take clothes to people that don't have clothes in a winter drive. We can feed the children, not because they deserve to get fed and deserve to get warm clothes, but because of who God is and what God has done for us. We can show God's loyal love to the world. They will never experience it if they don't experience it through us. This is God's loyal love to the world. And then it says God is faithful. What does faithful mean? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Well, faithfulness speaks of truth. It means that whatever I say is true and I'll do it. So reliability, steadfastness, being stable. In the Bible, Moses, Exodus 17, verse 12, it speaks of, remember Moses was keeping his hands up. So God said, you need to raise your hands. And while you're raising your hands, your army will win. And if you drop your hands, they'll lose. So Moses is standing there on the mountain, looking at the people. I don't know if you've tried to, to keep your hand up for a long time, but it gets heavy very quickly. What they did was they sat him down on a rock, and then they stood beside him, and they held his hand up. And they stabilized his hand. And that scripture uses the same thing, faithful. His hands were being made faithful, trustworthy, stable, truthful. When we see that God is faithful, it doesn't mean that God tells the truth. It means that God is truth. God's actions aren't sometimes faithful. God is faithfulness. He defines what this means. Moses speaks of God as the rock, the rock of my salvation, meaning steadfast, uncompromising. You can, you can bank on God. Abram considers God as faithful. So he's old, his wife is old, and God says, you'll have children, and through you I'm going to create a nation. And he places his faith, his trust in God's faithfulness. What happens? God moves, and he does it. And I think it's four or five generations later that you have a nation out of one offspring because Abram placed his trust in God's faithfulness. The Israelites, again, in Egypt, God remembers his promise to Abram and his faithfulness moves them out of slavery. What do they do? Not like us. I mean, we're faithful. Israel's immediately unfaithful, not like us, right? No, we are like them. That's why they are the picture of humanity. We point at Israel very quickly, but they're just a picture for us. Why? To remind us that even when we fail, when we take our focus off God, that he remained faithful, even when they were not. He showed us that. And he keeps them 
we can rely on God. So then there's David. He becomes king of Israel. And he's a man that puts his faith in God. What's God's response to David? Yes, God's response to faithfulness and to trust. He says, through you, all nations will be blessed. Same story as Abram. Remember? Abram put his trust in God and his faithfulness. David did the same thing. And it's the same promise. It says, through you, all humanity will experience my faithfulness. Your throne would be established forever. Your kingdom will reign forever. Well, Israel's kingdom disappears. And there is no king on the throne. And the Israelites are a little bit perturbed by that because they're going, God, but you're not being faithful. You said that you are faithful, but where's the king of David on the throne? He's not there anymore. We lost it. Matthew 1 verse 1. Have you got that? Answers the question to them. It says, a record of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Faithful. Son of David, son of Abram. Abram was put his trust in God. David put his trust in God. Jesus is an answer to that. God is faithful. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes time goes by and we go, this is too long. Something should have happened by now. Wait for it. God is faithful. Jesus is the answer of God's faithfulness to the world. He's the fulfillment of God's promise to us. His kingdom will last forever. So in him, we are called to put our trust in God's faithfulness. And when we are faithful to God, God will be faithful to respond exactly in the same way. He says, I am the same that I was then. It's like he will respond to you when you put your trust in him with faithfulness. And it's incredible the promises that God makes today over our lives as individuals. He hasn't stopped that. It's not just Abram that got a promise. It's not just David that got a promise. It's not just Moses. It's not that. It's us today. There are promises in our lives. When we put our trust in him, it's incredible to see the faithfulness of God that does anything anybody can show to us. It's important to understand the characteristics of God. So when somebody asks you, what is God like? Well, God is compassionate Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love, and faithful. That is who God is. And uh, this morning, what does God want from us? He wants to show his favor, his compassion to us. We are called to show it to the world in return, but we can't really help. Faced with so much love, so much compassion, so much favor. It, it's a natural flow, outflow of that to one another and to the world. If you're here this morning and, and you, you haven't received that gift of God's favor, God wants to offer you that gift this morning. But you have to receive it. You have to say, God, yes, I want, I need your favor. Will you look upon me with favor, God? And will you give me grace? If that's you this morning, you need God's grace. Meaning, you want to place your life in God's hand. Like you would with a king. God, take my life, let it be. 